you look at the smiling couple on your Facebook feed. It's their 50th wedding anniversary. Congratulations, you comment, but you also wonder, what's their story? What holds them together for half a century? You watch two of your neighbors, two very politically active neighbors, neighbors whose yards are filled with signs for candidates. One yard with Democrat signs, one yard with Republican signs. Yet these two neighbors pass by your house every morning at 7 a.m., walking and talking five days a week. And you wonder, what's their story? What holds them together in such a politically divisive time? You're preparing for the holidays, and there are people you cannot or will not gather with this year. Maybe it's because of health and safety concerns, or maybe because you lost them this year. And you wonder, what will hold us together as a family in a time like this? A faith community gathers in a parking lot on a Sunday morning in borrowed folding chairs facing the charred remains of their beloved historic sanctuary. News crews are there to capture the moment and the reporters comment on camera. They wonder, what will hold this community, this church together after such a devastating loss? What holds us together? It's an important question, one that I've pondered during this sermon series on unity. We've read and we've memorized beautiful passages from Ephesians in our worship this month. And our pastor Emily has helped us concentrate on our common calling and our knowledge and our speech, all things which strengthen our unity. But now, as we bring this sermon series to a close, and as the author of Ephesians brings his letter to a close, now we get to the heart of the matter. Now we get to the author's conclusion. Now the letter answers that important question, what exactly holds us together? What holds the church together? As we approach God's word, pray with me. Loving God, speak to us now your word of life and of power. Quiet our souls and hearts to hear your message of unity and sacrifice this day. In the name of Jesus who holds all things. Amen. Hear these words from the end of the letter of Ephesians. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. The author of Ephesians makes a convincing closing argument for your life to hold together, for your family and your community to hold together, for the church to hold together, we first must remember who we are. Remember who we are. We're beloved children of God, and like beloved children everywhere, we look toward and we imitate our parent. I'll never forget the camping trip my family took in the summer of 1996. Now, it was a wonderful trip with mountain hiking, campfires, whitewater rafting, and all that. But that's not why I remember it. 
I remember it because on that trip, our old Ford Expedition lost three tires in three weeks. So the third time it happened, my daughter and I, we didn't even get out of the truck. I was so over changing tires. But in the side mirror, I caught sight of my husband and two preteen sons on the side of the road. There was Al with his typical in-charge stance, hands on hips, back straight, head tilted, surveying the situation. And I kid you not, our two boys were standing right beside him. Same stance, hands on hips, back straight, heads tilted, surveying the situation. It was an unconscious and perfect imitation. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love, says Ephesians. Remember who you are. You're God's children, so your life should resemble the character of God. And what is that character, that trait, which distinguishes God's children? It's love. Love. <laughs> it's love that holds together families, communities, and churches. That's what Jesus taught, friends. Remember when the young scribe asked Jesus in Mark 12 about the greatest and first commandment? Jesus responded, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And when Jesus was saying goodbye to his disciples in the Gospel of John, Remember what he said? I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. Jesus taught that the priority of the life of a Christian is love. Love for God, love for one another, love for those in need. And the priority for the church is love. Love for God, love for one another, and love for those in need. It is a simple truth, yet the author of Ephesians felt a need to say it again, to go over it again. And as we grapple with unity and being held together in our time and in our lives, we need to hear this message again as well. We forget who we are. We forget to live in love. We struggle just as Christians have struggled for thousands of years to keep love a priority. Why? Well, there are other things that vie for our allegiance and attention and priority, and sometimes they're good and noble things. The parent that pushes a child to excel does it for all the right reasons, yet unwittingly makes achievements a priority rather than love for the child. Working hard to advance a career for the sake of one's family skates a rather thin line with making work a priority over the love of family. Giving your time and passion to community efforts and groups, while noble, can become a priority in and of itself and then love for the neighbor, well, it just gets lost in the shuffle. I see it happen to people over and over again. Priorities can easily get mixed up. We must constantly examine our commitments and values and ask ourselves, are we really putting the most important and lasting things first? And you know what? It's so much easier to see another person's bad priorities than to see your own. Have you noticed that? Jesus said, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
So watch out for the other things that crowd in and take over your time and priority, your energy and your love. Be on guard for misplaced priorities if you want to live a life of love, a life of a child of God. And the same is true for the church. The church must also have its priorities in line because so many things vie for the church's attention that love, well, love can lose its position of authority in the church. Money, numbers, buildings, programs, reputation, dynamic, powerful worship, these are all important in the life of the church. But as beloved children imitating our God, all of these things pale in comparison to our calling to be a loving church. Ultimately, it's the kind of welcome and encouragement that people get here at WHPC, the kind of human witness to the love of God displayed here at WHPC that matters most. The bottom line, making love a priority in our life, making love a priority in the life of the church, it's not easy to take a deep breath instead of saying the first ugly thing that crosses your mind, to think the best of people even when they show you their worst, to love someone just as they are instead of making them into something you would prefer them to be, to listen to someone's heart and hurts, not just their words, to give up and sacrifice things that you want or even need because of your love for others. This takes some training, some discipline, some hard work. On the other hand, those who make love of God and others a priority in their life report an amazing thing. The more you live like this, the easier it gets, the freer you feel, and the more love you have to share. God's love has a multiplying effect, a healing effect, a unifying effect that cannot be thwarted. And one more thing, one more very important thing about this love that holds us together. Let me be very clear. We aren't talking about the anemic heart emoji love our culture throws around. We aren't talking about a fuzzy feeling or pleasant words. No, when the gospel speaks of living in love, the gospel speaks of love that acts, love that sacrifices, love that invests and risks. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The love that holds us together, that holds our families together, our community together, our church together is giving up love. That couple celebrating 50 years of marriage on Facebook is celebrating thousands of moments of giving up love, moments of sweet sacrifice that kept them together. Friends and community members who can put aside ideological or political differences to stay in relationship and to work for common good, they practice giving up love, making our community stronger and more united. And the church? The church that gives generously beyond itself, where the elderly support family ministries and where the young provide for the needs of those with mobility or hearing issues, that church will hold together because it knows how to love as Christ loved us with sacrifice and with action. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. This is what holds us together. This is how our families, communities, and our church can be united in such a time as this. Love one another, said Jesus. By your love, they will know more than by anything you could do. Love each other as I have loved you, said Jesus. Love with action and deeds, not just words. 
Love in such a way that other people will see God in your love. Friends, that's exactly the kind of love we're called to share with families, with one another, with this hurting world. A love that gives more than it receives, that puts others first, that does something in the face of wrong and in the face of need. A love that holds people together when they're hurting, that calls people to give up or stand down for love. The world needs Christians, Christians like you and me who can do more than talk about God's love. The world needs churches, churches that do more than talk of Christian love and service, but actually give and actually act in the name of Jesus Christ. I think the Apostle Paul said it best in his letter to the Corinthians. If I speak in tongues of human beings and angels, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything I have and hand over my body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice. It's happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things, and this love never fails. Friends, this radical love is poured into our lives by grace. This radical love is our calling, and this radical love holds us together. Thanks be to God. Amen.